Grab a pumpkin spice pasty and get cozy. You're listening to the Quilter Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for people who are really worried about Neville. Ah, yes. Harry Potter, our new celebrity. Potter, what would I get if I added powdered root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? I don't know, sir. Fame clearly isn't everything. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Welcome to episode three. This week, the chapters we are discussing from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone are The Potion Master, The Midnight Duel, and, and Halloween. Halloween. This podcast will contain explicit language, uh, spoilers, and adult themes. This week's adult themes include misogyny. Literal and figurative trolling, uh, skin lesions in the form of boils all over poor Neville's body. I'm worried about Neville. Ugh. Neville had a rough three chapters. Lacks safety regulations, and adults with creepy and deeply misplaced vendettas against children they have never met. Because, folks, we all come into this world with baggage, and whether or not we know it, the grown-ups around us sure as fuck do. So... Uh, buckle your seatbelts for some fucks, some spoilers, and some really, really frightening grown-ups. Yeah, and yeah, no fucks given by some grown-ups. No fucks given by... Fucks and no fucks given by the grown-ups. by Snape in particular. Yeah, and Dumbledore, let's be real. Let's get into it. When we last left our intrepid heroes, classes were starting at Hogwarts School for Witchcraft and Wizardry. Uh, charms... Looking at stars and potions with Severus Snape, who turns out to be a real shitbird to Harry, for reasons unknown, but that will be revealed. Harry and Ron go and uh, bitch about the start of classes to Hagrid at his hut, catch a glimpse of a newspaper story about a mysterious break-in at Gringotts. Funny that, because it happened the same day Harry was there to uh, pick up his undetermined amount of gold. Uh, a bunch of 11-year-olds are given, were given flying lessons. Um, there's a, another fight between Harry and Draco, who's being very Draco-ish. Grabs a remember-all from Neville, which is this device which help, reminds you if you've forgotten something, but it's actually not very helpful because... Yeah, it's a totally useless device. Yeah, anyway, I, he grabs I, I, I kind of think Gran is trolling Neville a bit. Like, <laughs> anyway, Draco swipes the remember-all. Flies off. Harry takes off after him. Realizes he's a natural at flying. Draco chucks the remember all. Harry grabs it, which is convenient because it turns out there's a sport wizards play where they have to race through the air uh, after very tiny, fast-moving objects. Harry gets some preferential treatment for McGonagall and gets put on the house Quidditch team. Meanwhile, more fallout from Draco's dickish behavior as Draco challenges Harry and Ron to a midnight duel. They sneak out late at night to go apparently battle Draco with wands in the trophy room. Turns out to be a real dirty trick because Draco never intended to meet them. Uh, sent. So he went and narked to Filch who's looking for folks. Meanwhile, Harry and Ron try... Uh, Pardon me. Hermione tries to stop Harry and Ron from engaging in this highly prohibited activity after hours. 
There are some shenanigans and running around. They pick up Neville, who's sleeping in a corridor uh, <laughs> because he can't get back into the portrait hole. They hide in a room where there's a big monstrous black uh, three-headed dog. I don't remember if he's black or not. Um, Fang is black. Fang is black, He's yeah. any color, I don't know. And uh, so that kind of puts some tension into their relationship with Hermione, who they don't really like at uh, this point. Ron continues some... Di- I'll wrap it up. Ron continues some dickish behavior to Hermione, who they see is very interfering and bossy. This all culminates on Halloween when they have a sick banquet, but a troll gets in, so all the kids have to go to the towers to be safe, but Hermione crying in the bathroom because Ron and Harry were so awful to her, so they have to go save her from the troll, and they do. And then the friends. And then they're friends. And that's where we are. So pretty action-packed three chapters. Yeah, seriously action-packed. They get into all kinds of shit. They, uh, they get nearly expelled for the first of many, I think hundreds many of times. times. How many times does Her- does Hermione have to say, like, we might get expelled, y'all. Maybe yeah. not. That's Maybe not her, do this. It's kind of her thing. That's kind of but, her thing. Uh, even while all the action is happening, there is a, the, there's the mundane activity of starting classes. Yeah, they're in school. Yeah. They're and, in, like, uh, what, fourth grade? Mm-hmm. Eleven. How old is that? Um, they're in fourth grade, I think. I was working this out. I think it's fifth grade. Okay, well... Who knows? Fifth form, it's England. Yeah. So this chapter starts with a great just evocation of Hogwarts, but also going to school in general, what it's like to start classes or even a new job. But with, you know, the magical touches, like there's staircases that move and trap steps and doors that are in different places every day or that you need to kind of wiggle or... Like she, there's tricks point, to get through. Yeah. She says some of the doors are walls that are just pretending, yeah. which I think is such a cute little <laughs> line. I mean, that's what it's like to be in a new building or space, but told in this wonderful Hogwartsy way. Right. And we get our first look at classes. You've got Flitwick. You do. You have charms. Char- yeah, charms. They head down and learn about plants for herbology. They're studying star charts for reasons... Not well explained What's yet. so funny about all of these classes is, like, herbology, for example, they're basically learning a trade. Like, it doesn't really seem like they're learning any kind of academic skills. Like, it's very much like, this is how you water the magical mushrooms. Oh, yeah. Today, we're turning matches into pins. Right. Is it pins into matches? Matches into it's pins. matches into pins. Hermione's the only and one then who can do it. McGonagall... Sign, assigns them like a shit ton of homework but like what could their what homework are they, what possibly are they, what be what are they writing about like or this like is the reading right, about this is the right way to tap a right. match a matchstick um i always wonder about that like what they're always like oh my god we have so much homework and it's like literally what is your homework but apparently there's a shit ton of it a thing that isn't done super well is you don't actually get a really good sense of the mechanics of their magic like you don't really learn how magic works in Harry Potter. There's this book by Lev Grossman called The Magicians, which people have kind of billed as like grown-up Harry Potter. And one thing I really like about those books is that it goes into magical theory and how you learn magic and what kinds of skills you need to do magic. And in Harry Potter, partly because it's a book for younger readers, but I really do think this is a drawback, you don't actually learn 
how it's always like, oh, Hermione's super duper clever, but you don't ever really see that. That's a lot of telling and not showing that Hermione is clever because... Well, she always knows the spell, though. Right, but... I, the cleverness does not mean Hermione really has, good memory. Hermione has the best... Maybe Hermione just has a photographic memory. No, she doesn't, because no. Hermione is always able to do... Th- like, Hermione manages... Because it's not about knowing the That's spell. True. She knows in context how and when to She's use... better at turning a matchstick into a needle, and I is that, like, force of will? Is that intellectual ability? Is that memory? Is that personality based like I have no idea uh, we get some we get some clues to this later in the series so we'll when we get to the Patronus charm we'll revisit this but that's one charm I still find that I'm I'm really frustrated and Hermione in particular is a place where I get really frustrated because I'm told over and over how smart and how clever and how good a witch she is you kind of lose out on some characterization because I can't tell what part of your brain is required to be really good at like transfiguration or like Charms. I don't know what Hermione is good at. And That's you, true. But we're told transfiguration is very difficult. Right, but in what way? Is it taxing mentally? Is it a memory situation? Is it something where you have to just want it more? Like, what are they doing? They're just, <laughs> what are they doing? Literally, swish, what are they doing? Swish and flick. Swish and flick. See, that doesn't seem hard. Like, Hermione's better at swishing. Like, that's just wrist strength. That a clever witch does not make. Well, um, speaking of which... Snape actually kind of disses Charms when we first meet him. He says, you'll find little of the little foolish wand-waving in this class, so you won't even believe that potions are are magic. Well, that's because potions are basically chemistry. Right. Snape is interesting because Snape teaches, other than maybe history of magic, um, Snape teaches the only class that seems like an actual academic subject to me. Although they are mostly just grinding up like fish skeletons but they learn how different ingredients balanced together create a new thing that's chemistry snape's introduction so okay snape's a villain in these books like i or like a whatever an anti-hero if we're going to talk in the parlance of the day (laughs) but snape's and so that first scene with snape you're sort of you're meant to see him as Villainous, and in a lot of ways, he really, really is. But his yeah, he uh, yeah, he's straight up villainous in a lot of ways. Um, I find his intro to the class fucking badass. You are here to learn the subtle science and exact art of potion making. As there is little foolish wand waving here, many of you will hardly believe this is magic. I don't expect you will really understand the beauty of the softly simmering cauldron with its shimmering fumes, the delicate power of liquids that creep through human veins, bewitching the mind and snaring the senses. I can teach you how to bottle fame, brew glory, even stop a death. If you aren't as big a bunch of dunderheads as I usually have to teach... Okay, he's like not a great guy, but that is bad ass. That is such a cool ass intro speech. I think if Harry and Ron, this is like a low key Harry and Ron complaint. I think if they were smarter and more interesting people, they would be like, dang, we can learn so much from this guy. Like Hermione right away sits up straight and looks incredibly eager to prove that she is not a dunderhead. When Snape drops the kind of trick question, Hermione actually knows the answer. Those are not trick questions. He's trying to trip up Harry because Snape is really perceptive. Snape knows that 
Harry is going to rely on aspects of his personality other than preparedness in class. (laughs) And Snape is right. Snape pegs Harry right away as arrogant. Snape is right about Harry. Is Harry arrogant at this point, though? Absolutely, because you know what? Those were not trick questions, and here's why. Hermione knows the motherfucking answers. She knows the answer to everything. She knows the answers because she did the work. She did the work. That's, oh my god. Okay, I have to say, like, I was Hermione. I have been in situations where everybody is like, mar, 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 why was that on the pop quiz? And I'm like, it was in the goddamn book. <laughs> like, it's not a pop quiz if it's just asking questions about the fucking course material. I get that Snape is awful to Harry, but um, in that first scene, I don't know that th- that Snape is entirely wrong. I think Snape finds Harry to be pretty full of himself right away and harry proves his point because harry right away mouths off and he does have the balls to grab the broom in the next uh, the flying lesson and go after malfoy yeah he's arrogant yeah, no he's got okay. uh, is he arrogant Absolutely, or is he just he's arrogant no he is 100 percent. he's arrogant yes i think actually right. this introduces one of harry's major character flaws because i think he is arrogant and and he has very little control over his temper so snape pushes his buttons I would say pretty mildly. If it's your first day of school and your teacher is like rude to you, just like put your head down. Snape asks him three trick questions, trick quote unquote questions. I think they're just questions. And on the third question, Harry goes, I don't know, sir. Why didn't you ask Hermione? Looks like she knows the answer. Like that's rude. The Snape introduction does capture the feeling of the tension and uncomfortableness of a class you really hate. A teacher you don't like and a teacher who doesn't like you. So Snape reminds me of this chemistry teacher I had in high school that nobody really liked, and it was always tense because the teacher was at war with the students, and Snape always feels semi-at war with everyone in the class, except maybe the Slytherins. And I always thought back to this teacher whenever I would read chapters where Snape is in class. This teacher, I remember her, because I was not a very good, I was not a very good chemistry student, Maybe I should have applied myself more, much like uh, Mr. Harry. Potions lore could probably and does come in handy for him uh, later on in the series. Anyway, this teacher told me, uh, you need to, like, get on this chemistry train. And I was like, I I don't know. Current events are more my thing. I'd rather read the newspaper and, you know, learn about politics. And she's like, you'll never make a living reading newspapers. And now I basically do, because I'm an editor at a news magazine. So probably don't make as much money than if I was a uh, chemical engineer, but... uh, I don't know. It depends. Yeah. If you're a chemical engineer and you're rolling in dough, drop us a line. We'd love to hear what that's like. Point is, you do... And what you think about potions. Oh, yeah. Also that. In my youth, though, I felt very hostile to chemistry, so I can relate to Harry. (laughs) Now, though, I'm more appreciative of STEM and wizard STEM, so... You know, I can get not being in a potions class. I can get not being in a potions class. I think... We should get a chemist, though, to get there. We need a chemist perspective on uh, potions mastery. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Snape is one of the most interesting characters in uh, oh, yeah. the series. One thing that interests me in these early chapters, talking about school, is Snape is one of the few competent teachers. Like, Snape <laughs> is a really, really good professor other than the fact that he has this like very creepy affect and really really unacceptable treatment of oh, harry yes. and his friends uh, yeah. yes and later on it does get much he's worse. straight up abusive to neville yes 
He is a oh my god, poor Neville. Neville gets po- covered in boils. Covered in boils within half an hour. Yeah, of, of the very Snape. first class. Snape's like, hey kids, here's some highly toxic uh, chemicals for you to play with people who have never done anything like this before. Uh, it's also the first of two times in two chapters that Neville has to go to the hospital. Lane. Yeah, he experiences excruciating pain in this chapter and in the next when he falls off a broom from, I think, 20 feet. Yeah, could have died. Poor Neville. And just breaks his wrist. Luckily, he doesn't suffer massive uh, internal injuries. So that shit aside, Snape is a pretty good teacher. Snape has... It's certainly the most difficult class. Uh, yeah, I mean, Transfiguration. Except for maybe Transfiguration. Transfiguration and Potions definitely seem like the most challenging classes. And Snape seems to be a really skilled wizard. Wizard, yes. We learn later on that I think if Snape... Well, you said this. Yeah, if Snape could just get out of his own way and not be such a misanthrope and paranoid and distrustful of everyone, he's probably a better wizard than Dumbledore in the end. Like, he has intelligence skill he's a great duelist he can fucking read minds i agree with you i think a thing that's really interesting about snape because i think we all know someone like this who if they could just like stop believing in like chemtrails or whatever (laughs) like if they could get out of their own head a little bit and sort of embrace the world or just have some or just let things go or let things go a little yeah people that are so embittered i think a characteristic of slytherins that the hat doesn't say is slytherins have no chill slytherins have no chill draco has no chill snape Snape has has no chill well and also characteristic of slytherins and snape is such a perfect example of this is mistrust to a fault yes i think obviously there especially in the wizarding world there is definitely a place for people who don't believe the bill of goods that they're being sold but if snape could just just kind of enter society a little more effectively snape would be an extremely powerful wizard he could easily be the headmaster of hogwarts not like scary like alternate universe apocalypse hogwarts headmaster but actually (laughs) could just succeed dumbledore snape is a highly gifted sorcerer and a really smart guy and he's got a lot he's got a lot to give but he's he's never got a lot percolating he's never able to give it really he just can't get the fuck over like like kids bullying him i mean it's actually interesting because it's it's becoming this kind of like type in pop culture like in the most recent ghostbusters movie it's kind of the The same thing the bullied becoming the bully and it's like you just gotta like get past yeah man kids are mean snape kids are mean everywhere and always like kids having does kind of treat being a teacher as his chance to get perpetual revenge for his crappy hogwarts experience cool kids i mean he hates harry right that's actually that's maybe why harry aside from a lot of emotional baggage we'll get to Mm -hmm. later in the series is that harry is famous and popular or He's on the way to becoming popular. He's already famous. Mm -hmm. And whether or not Snape and Harry had a history, it's something Snape would instinctively recoil against. Except that's so weird because... Draco is Draco's that. a tool to get at Harry. That's true. He, I Snape think doesn't he, actually like Draco. He just likes that Draco hates Harry. It's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation. And just the Slytherin thing. But that's also so immature. Like, Snape, you are a grown-ass man. Do not ally <laughs> yourself with an 11-year-old dickweed. Also, I think... Like, I Draco think, is not your buddy. I think, I think there are reasons for Snape 
protecting Draco that we'll get into later. Right, and I also think that um, Draco is a lot less cool than he thinks he is, and Draco's (laughs) a lot more like Snape than he thinks he is, especially Snape as a kid. We've been talking about Draco a lot in this podcast. because Draco's a really good character. Before we transition to another topic there's one school topic that i just need to raise really briefly what the fuck is mrs norris like, uh i don't know filch's cat she's like they seem to have psychic. A, they have a psychic bond yeah of some kind. he clearly can communicate with her he seems in love with her like it seems <laughs> like i i'm like did his wife get turned into a cat also she's mrs norris like she's got a married name who who is mrs norris uh. <laughs> is mrs norris a transfigured human who just never was transfigured back who just never came back is she just a cat and filch is a freak what is she like well they're not really he's argus filch right well i mean okay but maybe he i don't know there's so many possibilities but mrs norris and filch like i and we never we that actually never gets solved (laughs) and just for for all time and you know harry potter has a lot of cats that aren't quite cats in it because i mean okay so minerva mcgonagall transfigures into a cat so we know the deal with that cat that's miss that's Professor McGonagall. That's the strangest cat. Well, it's not the strangest cat no, the in the strangest series. Cat is is, Mrs. Norris. No, the strangest cat is Crookshanks. Crookshanks. Crookshanks is not yet. I'm sorry. That's not really a spoiler. That's just a weird name if you've never read these books. But Crookshanks is a very confusing cat. And Mrs. Norris and Crookshanks are the same thing. And that thing is not a cat. So, major question. If anybody has any insight into what they think Mrs. Well, cats Norris... Have, they get to, they see all the cats on Harry. One of the, Harry's first observations at Platform 9 and 3 quarters is there's just cats everywhere. So, cats in this universe seem to have kind of a supernatural... Yeah. Or no, they higher have, in, a higher intelligence Well, I guess in owls do, too. Right. Because Hedwig is more than a, an, a muggle right. owl. So, I think... But Mrs. Norris is above and beyond. Like, Mrs. Norris and Filch <laughs> have a very creep, creepy relationship. Are Mrs. Norris and Filch, like, sleeping in the same bed? Like, I just have a lot of questions about what is going on in the, like, Filch and Cat relationship. It's just another strange human resources decision by Albus Dumbledore. So, you brought this up a little while ago, but one of the things that gets kind of intro in these chapters, and actually it's the way the chapters start, there's dialogue that opens the Potion Masters, and it's... There, look, where? Next to the tall kid with the red hair, wearing the glasses. Did you see his face? Did you see his scar? Whispers followed Harry from the moment he left his dormitory the next day. People lining up outside classrooms stood on tiptoe to get a look at him or double back to pass him in the corridors again, staring. Harry wished they wouldn't, because he was trying to concentrate on finding his way to classes. So Harry goes from being gum on the shoe of Uncle Vernon to the single most famous person in his new world. And fame, I think, is a really cool theme in these books. It's one that's developed and complicated throughout. Oh, uh, yeah. But that Rowling gets to the nature of a certain kind of instant fame mm-hmm. really interestingly and what it does to people and how they respond to it in a way that parallels her own life. That is really true. And in this book, she's not famous yet, which is interesting to look back on because pre-incredibly famous J.K. Rowling, she already had really, really fascinating insights into what fame did and meant. And one of the things that's very 
interesting about Harry's fame that I think she's so smart about, and I really, really love this throughout, is she talks about celebrity culture really interestingly because we have this idea as non-famous people that fame, A, automatically confers benefits, and B, that famous people have fewer overall worries. Yeah, no problems. It's so funny because Snape, who's a grown-up, ascribes that to Harry right away. He says, clearly fame isn't everything, Mr. Potter. (laughs) And Harry's like, fame is nothing, bro. I'm famous because horrible things happened to me. And I also didn't know until six weeks ago. Also, you know this, asshole. Yeah, you were there. (laughs) You were there. Well, I guess not there, but like you were in this world when I got quote unquote uh, famous. Like you know what happened. Everybody knows why I'm famous, dog. It's so weird. It's this weird wizarding cognitive dissonance where people understand what Harry Potter is famous for, which is something objectively terrible. Yeah. And are still envious. We get that with Ron and the Weasley twins right away in the first chapters we talked about. We get that now with Snape and all these kids at Hogwarts who I'm just, that part always really confuses me because it's like, it's not like he's a movie star. He's famous for his trauma. Yeah, he's like Carolyn Kennedy. I guess it's like really uncomfortable to watch Harry have so much be known about him. So he doesn't really get to introduce himself to this world because people already have all these built-in expectations about the kind of person that he is. Because not only is he famous, but even if his parents were still alive, Lily and James cast really long shadows. So one of the first things that Oliver Wood says and that Professor McGonagall says is, you're an amazing Quidditch player, just like your father. But also, and this is kind of an interesting transition into Harry as jock. It's one of the first things he discovers that he's good at in in his own right. He's probably a better Quidditch player than his father by all accounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he finds something he likes and wants to excel at. But it is part of his struggling to carve out his own identity against this massive history that was thrust upon him. I really like that Harry's a jock. <laughs> Why? Well, first of all, that's just a that's a really delightful scene when he first gets on a broom because it's the first time in these books that he has felt immediately qualified to do something. Yeah, he, he says gets, this is easy. Yeah, which is this great. This is wonderful. God, nothing has been easy for Harry ever. This is the like the first thing where he's just like, oh, here is a thing that I was born to. So that's lovely. But also, I gotta say, there's a certain there's a certain trope in middle grade fiction that this breaks for me. Mm, I think I see where you're going with this. I really like... He's not a, He's not kind of he's the... He's not a nerd. The scrawny nerd. Um, Harry, I mean, he's scrawny, but in a... No, he's lean. Lean, yeah. Lean and mean. Um, lean and the mean. The perfect build for a seeker. I like that Harry doesn't have to be this kind of meek, bookish... He's a believable athlete. He's he's He has a lot of the personality traits Oh my god, of, he's such an athlete. Yeah, he's a jo- Harry's a jock. And like all good jocks, he immediately starts receiving preferential treatment from the administration of Hogwarts. Not only does McGonagall, who apparently is like a hardcore Quidditch fan... I love that McGonagall against, has like a fantasy football team. Yeah. Basically. Uh... <laughs> convinces Dumbledore to relax the rule on first years, which, I mean, if Draco's pissed about that, Draco's fucking correct. Draco's right. Yeah. He sh- yeah. And and she gets him a broom. Did that come out of uh, Hogwarts tuition yeah, money? Yeah, whose where, budget Where is did that? the broom come from? Maybe McGonagall herself. How much could she possibly make? 
the, here are more questions about wizarding money. And she gets broom and board though at Hogwarts. I mean, what she spent, <laughs> right? I mean, what she's spending. Oh, I what? thought you said broom and board. Oh, broom and board. <laughs> She gets broom and board. What's she going to spend it on? Pointy hats? I mean... That's true. They wear the same thing every day. She's probably got... That's so Steve Jobs of them. I think McGonagall pays for the broom. Just a guess. That seems fair. I... If that came out of her... That's still ethically troubling because teachers shouldn't be laying out like, I don't know how many sickles this or galleons this broom cost. Presumably it's more than a wand because it can... Well, actually, no. I bet a wand costs more. I bet a wand costs more. We've established the wand is about $900. Yeah, Harry starts receiving uh, preferential treatment immediately. That's such... I had never (laughs) thought about that, but he immediately gets treated like an athlete. Yeah. It's like, well, the rules apply, but not to Quidditch stars. (laughs) Yeah. But I just... Hogwarts recruiting scandal. Ooh, yeah. Well, I mean, it is basically... Like, the NCAA would be like, you can't get him a fucking Nimbus. Like, that's like getting him like a Range Rover. One of the things I think J.K. Rowling does really well is write a story about a kind of hero that weirdly doesn't exist in that much fiction written for this particular age group, which is a cool kid who is still complicated. I think she writes really effectively about the ways in which your life can still be hard when you have these advantages that especially a lot of other writers from middle of middle grade fiction sort of imagine might eliminate the challenges from your right. life. Harry is popular. Harry is a skilled athlete. Harry's decent in school. Yeah. Harry is rich. Fine, rich. Yeah, legitimately rich. We think. He has piles of gold. Who knows how much it's worth. He's fine looking, I think. I mean, He's got a cool scar. He's got a cool scar. I imagined him as like mediocre to cute. And yet his life is still legitimately hard. And I think that's actually a much more interesting hero than a lot of what we get in sort of middle grade series fiction. Because I think girls in fiction are often written to be appealing to girls who don't feel appealing and I think a thing that JK Rowling does with Harry and also with Hermione and also with Ron is not allow her readers the space to wallow and instead she gives them people who are doers who are movers and shakers who are not available as empty spaces to put yourself in. Your own insecurities. Right. Uh, Because I, I think they're more I guess all I'm saying is I think one of the things about Harry as jock that works really well is I find Harry to be more finely drawn than a lot of heroes of middle grade fiction. And I think part of that is because J.K. Rowling has allowed him skills. And his skills are developed really carefully. So it's nice that he's not sort of bumbling into greatness. Like Harry is destined for greatness, but in very character-driven ways, not just in plot-driven ways. Right. Harry is destined for greatness because Harry is self-sure and brave and skilled and interesting and not because Harry is thrust into something. And I really appreciate the agency that Harry gets in his own story. And I think, I honestly think that's rare. I don't think you read a lot of fiction for this age group where that agency exists for the main character. And I think a lot of kids don't feel agency. And sometimes I think authors feel the need to pander to the lack of agency that the readers feel Mm. as opposed to create characters where that agency is imbued. 
And I know that the jockness is like a really weird way of setting that up, but I find Harry's ability in Quidditch to be a really nice sort of starting point for the fact that Harry is a deeply able young man. Right. And I find his being an able young man deeply refreshing because I think it is more interesting to appeal to young people's feelings of ability than young people's feelings of inability. And I think it is very easy, and I honestly think it is fairly lazy to appeal to the feeling of inability in young people. And I think J.K. Rowling knows that young people are phenomenally able and phenomenally imbued with agency. And she writes a character that embodies that. And I love that. I love Harry because Harry is in charge of his story. And Harry takes charge of the fucking broomstick. And then he takes charge of his life. The broomstick moment is pivotal because until that point, he doesn't have much confidence. He's worried about whether he'll be able to perform the spells. He wonders if he's gonna fucking suck. It's this really graceful moment. And I think it's a really deliberate moment from our dear author of the transition between Harry being acted upon to Harry acting. And I think the minute Harry jumps on a broom, what you get is a boy enacting his own destiny. And maybe that's reading too much into it, but I don't think so. I think Harry gets on a broom and Harry realizes that he is a self. (laughs) And Harry realizes that he is a person with action. And I love that. I love that moment. And he's like, that soaring experience is what anyone gets when they find their like creative personal outlet. The broom is such a perfect metaphor for the experience of finding the way in which you specifically belong in the world and Harry's entry into the wizarding world comes at this moment when he jumps on a broomstick and he's like this is easy this is me moving on to someone who is not a jock and in that way the kinesthetic opposite of Harry we have oh not the opposite but anyway we're moving on to Hermione Granger Hermione Sometimes I think I might feel about Hermione the way Catholics feel about, like, Mary. I think Hermione is an offering unto us. Okay, here's the thing that I think is really interesting about the way Hermione is introduced. We meet her through Ron and Harry's eyes, which is valuable in a lot of ways because I think if we met Hermione in a more neutral way, Hermione would so immediately be so dominant over these books that it wouldn't make sense that Harry was the hero. Yeah, you're totally right about that. I mean, in a lot of ways, she drives the, she makes a lot of the key decisions from this point going forward or plays a critical part to the point where you wonder how they got along without her and in fact they don't actually really have an adventure without her because she's along for the midnight duel not invited but gets them out of trouble by you know she knows the unlocking charm and right she makes it happen yeah I mean, Hermione is interesting because it's like a great thing about this chapter is it's like this locking into place of the each each important Harry, Ron, and Hermione are the central trio of this series. And until Hermione becomes their friend, which happens in such a delightful way. I mean, that even that scene where she is upset with Ron and so she's crying in the bathroom and they accidentally lock a troll in the bathroom <laughs> with her and then they take credit somehow for saving her. Um, although, to be fair to Harry, he doesn't really let himself take credit. He says to Ron, you know... Yeah, we fucked up. We made yeah, this happen. Like, we, we almost killed her. All we did was undo our own mistake. <laughs> 
the moment they the moment they bond, the moment they become friends, is the moment that the central, I mean, the, the most important pieces of each personality lock in place, and that's when the adventure really gets going. Yes. Because, so they introduce the Sorcerer's Stone a chapter before, um, well, not really, they introduce... In a more serious way, this great break-in the at break Gringotts. In. Yeah, they don't figure out the source. They don't stone figure out what later. it is, but they introduce the sort of central mystery about a chapter before, but not until Hermione enters the picture do these poor, sweet, bumbling boys have any no, shot in hell no clue. of solving this mystery. So uh, thank God we get Hermione. They dispatch that troll okay, kind of by accident. But uh, that's a great set piece. Oh my god, that's troll, such a great scene. Troll fight. Troll fight is good. It's, so, it's actually really funny to me because this was written before trolling was a thing. I don't know. Somehow it's just like, it seems so like prescient of J.K. Rowling to have picked a troll. Herm- Hermione gets trolled. By Ron. Then Let's, they have to go slay the troll. How crazy is it that if that was written today, that would be a clear metaphor for misogyny and jk rowling just like saw that coming like she literally picked a troll as the physical manifestation of like ron's misogynist anti-hermione bullshit jk rowling he calls her a a nightmare person oh my god jk rowling's a like a literal witch though because she knew like she saw (laughs) the future and she knew that trolling i don't know that kind of actually i just blew my own mind that's kind of crazy it's so typical it's such a universal experience like ron dislikes hermione because of hermione's competence ron thinks that he's framing it as he dislikes hermione because she's like bossy and obnoxious and a know-it-all but what happens actually is that ron and hermione get paired up in charms class class. and ron can't perform the wingardium leviosa spell even though seems pretty basic i mean he has to say some words and weave his wand and swish is it's swish and flick right yes he just he gets called out hermione anyway points out that ron can't get it up (laughs) but yeah yeah he and um, he says afterwards that she's a nightmare person oh my god and then he sees that she's crying and harry calls out the fact that she's crying right and he feels a little bad but also harry feels bad harry's like oh i think she hurt you and ron's like well she can't because she doesn't have any friends he says she can't not have noticed that she has no friends which is up. It's very cruel. I just have to say, if I were Hermione, I would think Ron was a fuckboy. More quibbles on Ron and Hermione. Ron is number come. one fuckboy. Number one. So just dealing with Sorcerer's Stone, though. I okay, mean, what do you think's the glue that hold? What what's the beside? Is it just the troll that brings them together? Or no, no, no. Where I think the... I think we're gonna give the boys some credit. Yeah. We're gonna give the boys some credit. I think the troll is a kind of inflection point where Ron and Harry realize that instead of being a bitchy know-it-all, Hermione is what she in fact is, which is a goddamn queen. Hermione is a queen, and yeah. she knows the unlocking spell which is my quibble for this episode alohomora so they're running super hard from filch and his cat lover and <laughs> they get into the root the forbidden corridor on the third floor because hermione knows alohomora the unlocking spell which why do wizards even have locks if, just... an, ele- if an 11 year old uh, presumably that's not a hard spell. Uh, maybe it is. I mean, it's hard enough that, I mean, it's a Hermione spell. It's right. hard enough that only Hermione knows it. I, uh, I have a message for Mr. Albus Dumbledore. Alohomora slash a regular magically breakable door lock is not an effective way to protect your murder dog. Your murder dog. Yeah. Your, it is not, it is also your not. Your three-headed murder dog. Yes. Not an effective way to keep 
the hundreds and hundreds of tweens and teens in your direct care from getting their fucking heads bitten off. You just, just like a padlock. You need man. a better. You need a better security. You need a better security it's system. Like, now it wasn't even a spell, man. I mean, no, it's that true. Shit it's just, just a like fucking a, lock. A quicksit or whatever. Yes, locksmith. Locksmith is the easiest job in the. It's the easy. Clearly, it's the easiest and hardest job in the wizarding world because uh, to unlock, you just pop up and say, "Oh, aloha, Mora, your fucking problems fixed," or you can just say that on. To change the locks, clearly you need some kind of fucking insane magic because not even Dumbledore is in, is capable of creating a lock that Hermione can't break. I'm just going to say, Dumbledore must have a lot of bicycles stolen from him. <laughs> because, um, Aloha Mora kind of segs into like a larger quibble, which is that like it's necessary for the plot to function, but like Hogwarts is really unsafe. <laughs> like Neville gets covered in boils. Boils? He... He's covered in boils and he breaks his breaks wrist. Breaks his wrist and then totally locked out then of his sleep, home. Then has to sleep. Sleep in the hallway in the with hallway, the fucking bloody baron. With the bloody baron. Just looking at him. Sketching him out. The way that they decide to protect, I just want to reiterate, a bunch of teenagers from untold danger is to tell them where not to go. Like, <laughs> is Dumbledore an idiot? What do you think? Like, I guess... Is that what, like, does Dumbledore want someone to find Fluffy? Sometimes I think Dumbledore is like a fucking sadist. Presumably, they did all this work to get Fluffy to Hogwarts. This is the three-headed dog. The three-headed dog is named Fluffy. So presumably, like, it was sort of a challenge to, to find a place to put Fluffy within Hogwarts. They can't think of a more effective way of keeping Fluffy from, like, the greater population of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry than an Alohomora unproved lock do a fucking spell you guys are magic at the very beginning Dumbledore it's not even like, dead bolted oh my god i know it's like one lock it's not even t- she doesn't have to say, she doesn't have to say it twice. twice hogwarts needs to figure out a way of keeping kids safe that isn't a giant groundskeeper obsessed with monsters <laughs> a building super who deeply wants to murder children that isn't a lock on a door to said monsters these children are unsafe. It functions really importantly in the plot that these children are unsafe. But I just like, I have a lot of questions for whoever is in charge of the insurance policies at Hogwarts. Yeah, it's a good thing that wizards, as far as we know, don't make uh, traditional pharmaceuticals because they just could not do childproof caps. Yeah, they can't do childproof three-headed dogs. <laughs> the same way they use candles, like... Their sense of childhood is really medieval. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe it's not that people are unsafe. It's just that, like, they have the same ideas about... Muggles are too safety obsessed. Or they have, like, wizards have the same ideas about child safety as they do about, like, electricity. Which is, like, I don't think we need that. Um, I think they're wrong. But to be fair, I am a muggle. Hard and fast. That's, uh, That's a really hard thing I'm learning about myself from these books. Like, from revisiting them is I just do not think I would do well in the wizarding world. I also sometimes wish Hermione was just a muggle so she could fucking cure cancer. <laughs> like, I feel like we need Hermione on our team. So we know that your team, Hermione, who's your unsung hero for these uh, three chapters? My unsung hero is uh, Professor Flitwick. He's a great character. He's teensy. He's very sweet. When he calls Harry's name in roll call, he falls off the chair, which I think is cute. The other thing that is unsung hero about Flitwick is that his class is clearly the only practically applicable class. So far. 
well until you're like a seventh year at Hogwarts. <laughs> Flitwick teaches them Wingardium Leviosa, which is how they defeat the troll. The troll. Yeah. Flitwick teaches them the single most useful word in the wizarding world, which is Osseo, which is how Harry accomplishes any number of shocking and daring feats throughout the course of these books. Is that this book? No, 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 no. Yeah, that's, that's not until on. the fourth yeah. book. But like, Flitwick's class is the only way they learn how to do anything. Charms, So man. Charms is like really, really, really underrated as an academic subject because Charms is the only immediately applicable thing they learn. Like, none of them are walking around doing astrology or fucking herbology or like fucking transfiguration. Like, they're not just like living their lives incorporating these new magical skills into them, but they're just... They're doing Alohomora like left, right, and center. Yeah. Flitwick is the only teacher that's teaching them anything they can use. So way to go, Flitwick. I love you. So my unsung hero for these three chapters is Percy Weasley. So Percy gets a lot of shit for good reason. You know. Later on, it's deserved. Yeah, and uh, he's kind of uh, he's kind of a big head, but he's really in his element in these chapters. During the evacuation scene, when they all have to leave the Great Hall, he's like, first years, follow me. I'm a prefect." keeps his cool, gets him out of there. He really is. He has a lot of chill. That's what you need. Opposite amount of chill as Draco. Percy, you get a shout out. This might be the only one you get, but enjoy it. I have one more unsung hero. Yes. My other unsung hero is the goblin that gets interviewed by the Daily Prophet about the break-in at Gringotts because he gives the single, like, sickest statement to the press I've ever read. Gringotts break-in latest. Investigations continue into the break-in at Gringotts on 31 July, widely believed to be the work of dark wizards or witches unknown. Gringotts goblins today insisted that nothing had been taken. The vault that was searched had, in fact, been emptied the same day. But we're not telling you what was in there, so keep your noses out if you know what's good for you, said a Gringotts spokesgoblin this afternoon. I like, that they have, I like that some goblin has the goblin flack. Oh my job. god, they have a flack goblin. Spokes goblin is <laughs> Spokes literally goblin. a word in this book. Okay, so shout out to Spokes Goblin. And I think that kind of brings us to the end of episode three. That's about it. So let's tell you what's happening next time. The next, the chapters coming up, next episode of the Quibbler podcast are chapter 11, Quidditch. Chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised, Everybody Cry Forever. Chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. So we're going hard and fast into this mystery. And sports. Oh, yeah. Oh, we have so much to say. It's time for sports. It's time for sports. Thanks for being with us today. This episode is brought to you by Nimbus Brooms, top-notch racing brooms, and uh, you can cling with them, too, if you have to. That's really not what they're for, but... you could. In a pinch. In a pinch. Don't forget to subscribe yes. on iTunes. And like us and leave us a review, please. We haven't done the we haven't done the typical podcast spiel yet. It's but true. We're there. Uh please rate and review us on iTunes. It turns out that that's how people find us. So give us Cinco stars, if you will. Um If you wish. No, do. Do. Even if you feel like it's like a three and a half star three episodes, like <laughs> trust us. And make sure that other people find what we're up to. So yeah, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. If you want to tell us something, we have a Gmail. Quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. And a newsletter. Tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. So there's billions, not billions, three ways (laughs) 
that you can help us out. And we're really excited for next week. You guys, Mirror of Arasad is going to be crazy. We're going to cry forever. Cry like forever. You said. Cry now, cry later. Cry now, Bye. cry later. Thanks, amigos.